straight ahead on this February 2021 edition of On SI. The special needs community is doing its best to persevere during an ongoing public health crisis that has presented many roadblocks for families and the nonprofit programs they often rely on. A long-standing borough business built on the closeness of its team dynamic has bent over backwards to adhere to COVID-19 social distancing restrictions, how it's keeping its spirits high. And this episode's Local Hero of the Month is a woman who demonstrates the important role small, independent pharmacies play in supporting wellness in their communities. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Patty Murphy. We begin this month with how the COVID-19 pandemic has affected the fragile developmental process for those who have special needs. At one North Shore-based nonprofit, Eden 2, they've faced the Herculean task of maintaining critical programs, all while striving to protect health and safety. On SI's Joe Malvasio has more. In the early days of the COVID-19 outbreak, Eden 2 was faced with unprecedented choices and challenges, including how to keep its programs up and running for people on the autism spectrum during extended lockdowns, acquiring personal protective equipment, and dealing with the uncertainty of a fast-spreading deadly disease. To make matters even worse, despite having nurses on staff at its seven facilities and services that are administered 24-7, the executive director of Eden 2, Dr. Joanne Gerenzer, says her team quickly learned that their nonprofit was not eligible for the same aid as other healthcare facilities because they are not designated as a hospital. That was unfortunate. I think a lesson learned for us was Uh, for us as a field, is that can never happen again. According to Gerenzer, far too many New Yorkers with developmental disabilities contracted and sadly died of COVID-19 while living in group homes. She says at Eden 2, 60% of its participants did eventually test positive for COVID-19, but thankfully none required hospitalization and all recovered. She credits her team for quickly adapting to safety protocols and for successfully taking on the role of frontline medical heroes overnight. Staff had to go to work knowing they were working with people who had covid and knowing that those people probably weren't going to be wearing their masks religiously. So we we had really unbelievably brave and dedicated staff that pulled us through. While many families have struggled during the pandemic, Gerenzer explained that the crisis is exacerbated for those with special needs. She says in particular, disturbed patterns and changes to everyday life are particularly intense for those with developmental challenges. One of the things about people with autism is they like routines. Having their routines completely disrupted, you know, no no school, no school buses, no teachers, you know, and then trying to figure out how for many of these kids to get them engaged with these tablets was really, you know, I mean, the parents were amazing. They 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 were real troopers in, in the first few months trying to get this going. And our staff really from... It took them about a week to kind of transition to something that they've never done before. In 2020, Eden 2 facilities have been transformed in many ways to support in-person and remote learning. But the equipment, staffing and services all come with a hefty price tag. It was a huge cost to be able to 
uh, create space so that we could allow for social distancing, putting in dividers. We had to buy these jam boards, which are not what we had uh, because they were the jam boards are like big smart boards, but they're compatible with Google Classroom so that we could offer both in-person and remote. And, you know, none of that was reimbursable. According to Gerenzer, donations from various Staten Island foundations helped keep Eden 2 on its feet during the peak of the crisis, a safety net that she, her staff, and about 500 Eden 2 families are grateful for. Staten Island really stepped up to help us during that time. Staten Island Elite Cheerleading has been in operation for 25 years, and despite COVID-19 restrictions, it continues to function as a positive, supportive team. I recently spoke with the owner, Liz Bellini, about the long-standing Staten Island All-Star Squad and how you never forget how it feels to have your teammates cheering you on, especially when times are difficult or when you have to work even harder to succeed. Liz, thank you so much for being with me today. It's a pleasure to be able to speak with you. Thank you. Thank you for reaching out. Can you tell our listeners about Staten Island Elite Cheerleaders? Staten Island Elite is an all-star program that we started 25 years ago in 96. We are strictly competition and performance teams. We have cheerleaders from four years old to 18. Well, our mission has always been to teach self-confidence We want the girls and boys, we want the team members to know as long as they do their best, that's the most we can ask of them and that's all we want from them. We want them to feel very full of pride of themselves and as long as they're having fun also. So at the end of the day, when we compete, first thing we'll ask is like, did you guys have a great time? Wasn't that so much fun? We are located out of the Victory Gymnastics Center which is at 3575 Victory Boulevard in the Travis section of Staten Island. Been there for 25 years and the gym has actually, they're celebrating their 40th anniversary this year. We were just speaking offline a little bit about my background. I'm Mm -hmm. a bit biased because I was a cheerleader in high school and I did spend a little bit of time practicing at your gym. And one thing you just said that resonates with me and it's something I learned through cheering and I know other athletes learn this in their sport is it isn't always a competition with the person next to you. It's a competition with yourself being able to, like you said, bring your best. Competition, it does bring out something in you that's important, but at the same time, I think having a team that works together and supports one another, so when you get that back handspring and your team members are clapping for you and cheering up and down for you, I mean, can you ask for something more than that? You didn't just do that for yourself. You know, you did that for everybody and everybody's so happy for you. We just had one of a first virtual competition the other night. And we were finally lucky to get two of our teams in at the same time um, in the gym to cheer each other on. And I'm telling you, that changes the whole element. Mm -hmm. When you have someone there, that's something we're missing right now, having the parents in the gym, not in the gym, but at the competitions. But when the little girls were cheering on the bigger girls, that adds a whole new element. You're just touching on it. And it's something I definitely want to talk about. What are some of the challenges you've had to overcome during the COVID-19 pandemic? We are definitely doing things different now than we ever have. We wear masks. So that's something that can be quite difficult when the girls are tumbling, jumping, dancing, when you have a two minute routine, two and a half minute routine, and you have to breathe like that. So there's more breaks, but um, we also use hand sanitizer. We take their temperatures when they come into the gym. 
we've spaced out our practices. So where we used to overlap our practices, where two teams would cheer at the same time in the gym and we would utilize the space and it would give them more practice time, but also it would help out when someone's absent or if you have a question and you could turn to, to another cheerleader from another team who's already done those skills, can you show her how it's done? We disinfect before they come in. We disinfect before we go home so that everything that we can possibly do to keep all the children safe in the gym, not just our cheerleaders, but the kids in the gymnastics program, we do. I don't know. I, I guess also starting our season three months late Mm -hmm. and not being able to actually attend competitions in person. This is something completely different to all of us. Trying to set the gym up the right way, giving the girls as many advantages as possible so that when they compete, they are on an equal scale to other teams. But again, first and foremost, it's did they do their best and are they having fun? So what we're doing is, is we're just giving them the opportunity have some normalcy. We're trying to just give them the chance to go and get out of the house and be active and do what they love mm-hmm. and, and improve. I can't imagine a cheerleading competition in a quiet room without parents and loved ones and teammates and siblings. It's, mm-hmm. it's almost unthinkable to me. It's, yeah, it's you want to show everybody what you've got, you know what I'm saying? But also to see the other teams and to go against them and to compete against them, that brings it out in you. But when you watch the video of the girls competing the other night for our first time, it was like I was trying to cheer them on. I was trying to clap, but I can't even watch the playback of it because it's just me. So in a little bit, in a little way, it's a little sad, you know? <laughs> but I mean, they did a great job and that's, that's all that matters. It, it's just, we'll try again next month and, and maybe the month after as well, hopefully. But I would rather give them that opportunity to try to do it at a virtual level than not be able to do it at all, you know? And none of us really feel quite comfortable at this moment mm-hmm. going to a live event. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're hoping next year everything's a little bit better. But Yeah, I think cheerleaders, again, I'm biased, are some of the most resilient people that I know. And I'm wondering if there's anything about the sport and the athletes, you know, whether it's an attitude or a mindset, is there something that you can say to that? All of our athletes, they're really just hardworking, determined kids. And on top of that, we have very, very supportive families. It just, they have been trained to push through, you know what I'm saying? And the family's understanding, you have to be at practice, you have to be at cheer. So they understand that sometimes they have to give up things they would really love to do in order to be part of this, you know, any sports team, honestly. But that's, I think that's what it is. I think it's years of just learning to push through that. You have to step up. So if you don't want to cheer during COVID, don't cheer during COVID. If you want to come in and try your skills and push yourself and see, even if this isn't the normal season, but you want to at least continue and have the social aspect and you want to have the physical aspect and you want to keep yourself going, then you will find a way to do what you need to do. Yeah, the show must go on always. Absolutely, right. So what are you looking forward to? 
Well, getting back to normal probably is my first answer, but my second answer actually would be my, my cheer grandkids. I have a couple of little ones of my cheerleaders who are mommies now, and they have three and four year olds and we can't wait to get them back in the gym. We had a team two years ago called the TR Tots for that age. And this year it really isn't safe to have that. It's really difficult with space in the gym because of the time frames that we have to be more spaced out. But um, that's what I'm looking forward to, the little ones, because they're so cute and, and it's just so loving to work with them after working with their moms and having that relationship. And then I would also say my, one of my teams that we were supposed to restart this season was Gem Station, which is an 18 and older team. So, you know, if you have your um, past cheer experience and you're looking for a spot on our 18 and older team, you can reach out to me in the spring, hopefully. But we had to, we had to hold back on that, you know, without stunting, we don't do stunts this season. We actually just mark them. So without stunting, the gemstation team kind of didn't seem to, to work out to have the girls all come home from college and on break and practice, you know, it's, it's not really the same thing. So that's something I'm definitely looking forward to pushing and getting back into other divisions and stuff like that. But it's just seeing a lot of the families. I miss it. I mean, you're such a longstanding Staten Island institution in my mind. So I believe wholeheartedly that you will navigate this successfully and continue to serve the island and keep that community. Thank you. I, I, you know, 25 years, it's been incredible. And um, I'll just ask for another 25 more. I'm fine. 25 more would be great. And then we'll go from there. But I, I have to say, I just want to say that being at Victory Gymnastics for all of these years and the staff at their gym were part of our families as well, that also kind of made a big difference for us too, because we all became, you know, we're all working through this together. We're all doing whatever we can do for as many families and as many kids as possible. I wanted to mention Victory Gymnastics, you know, Richie Lyle, who's the owner right now, he's, he's been so supportive to me. It's very difficult for all small businesses. So you know, financially, we're just, we're trying to get through it together and, and do whatever we can. When, when you used to have, when you used to have, like he had four classes per hour, we're limited now to 24 people in, a, in the building at once. And we now have an exit door and an entrance door. And now you can't, you know, overlap them coming in and out. So your classes have to be separated by 10 to 15 minutes. That takes a huge chunk on the hit. So we're just trying to do our best. So I just wanted to make sure to mention victory because I, I honestly couldn't do it, you know, without that gym and that owner being so supportive to me. Well, thank you for everything you've done. Thank you. Thank you for having us today. Now we are proud to bring you our local hero of the month, a segment made possible with support from Tom and Suzanne Crimmins, the owners of Tom Crimmins Realty. This month, we introduce you to Denise Lapari, a true local hero. Denise Lapari opened Livingwell Pharmacy along Victory Boulevard in Travis two weeks before Hurricane Sandy ravaged Staten Island's coastal neighborhoods. In the wake of the storm, Lapari and her business partner, Irina Bach, donated anything they could to Sandy victims, from reading glasses to diapers to bandages, anything they could do to help the communities that had been hit the hardest. 
Lapari says getting displaced islanders medications was an especially important task since many pharmacies were impacted by the storm. They were demolished, so we had to try to find records and ways to get them new meds because they didn't have anything. Since that experience, Lapari has been dedicated to giving back to the community she loves. Even throughout the COVID-19 pandemic, her pharmacy has remained open and in operation every single day. At the height of the outbreak, she and her all-female staff worked furiously to procure PPE for patients and even made sanitizer, which was nearly impossible to find in stores. We were able to obtain wipes and Lysol and things along those lines just so that we were able to take care of our community. She says her patient demographic is aged 65 to 100, so she does everything she can to make sure they are taken care of. Our patients are not just people that wander in here. Our patients come here because they want to be taken care of by us. Because we're a smaller place and we have a very personal touch with the things that we do, people appreciate that. Lapari is a second-generation pharmacist. It was ingrained in her from a young age that small independent pharmacies can be a vital community resource. And due to Lapari's efforts and dedication, the pharmacy is just that. That's why she's our local Hero of the Month. And finally, in case you missed it, in our last edition of On SI, we spoke to Father Jack Soler and parishioner and religious school teacher Vinnie Madugno at the Church of St. Michael and St. Clements in Mariner's Harbor about how the parish community found new virtual avenues to reach the faithful. In the end, the only open door was the virtual one. And I had to figure out on my own, just my comfort level with being on camera or recorded is not as important as being able to reach people. Not only were we hitting our parishioners and our kids, but we started getting people from Florida, Mexico, Puerto Rico, just from a little Staten Island Facebook parish page that people can like or follow. We took technology and we took social media and kind of like Father Jack likes to say about certain things with the, in regards to the church, we took it back. We took back technology, which kind of had some evil and some bad stuff running through it as we know what can happen with technology and social media. And we brought a little bit of good to it. And in my eyes, the good outweighs the bad. And we utilize it to the best of our abilities. And I'm just thankful for everybody that's along the ride with us. And will be embracing the journey as they continue and as we continue. That'll do it for this edition of On SI. A thank you to Joanne Gerenzer, Liz Bellini, Denise Lapari, and Tom and Suzanne Crimmins. Please check out our website at onsi.nyc and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. We feature stories that matter to locals. If you have one you'd like to share, email it to us at stories at onsi.nyc. Until next time, be well.